The Performance Lab podcast is invested in the sharing of knowledge and cultivation of curiosity between makers. We invite guest artists to lead a workshop with the MFA candidates of Sarah Lawrence College, after which we interview them. We ask questions tailored to their individual practice, delving deeper into the how and the why of creation. Inspiration is all around us, but how do we hone in on the subjects that drive us? They share with us their tips, tricks, and sources of inspiration, reflect on past performances and projects, and keep us up to date with what's next. Stay tuned for the Performance Lab podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Performance Lab podcast. Uh, my name is Bryn Hambly, and I am a second year grad here at Sarah Lawrence College. And I'm Stephen Earnhardt. I am also a second year grad. Today we have with us Holly Hughes. Hey, hey everybody. Hi, Bryn. Hi, Stephen. Hello, we're so excited to be able to talk to you today. I know I personally just did a uh, short presentation uh, on some of your performance art for one of my classes, so I'm very uh, excited to talk to you today more about your work and the things that you do. Um, just to start us off, I thought it might be fun to ask you um, if you could describe uh, your work in one word, what word would you use? A mm. mm. <laughs> uh, dog roll. <laughs> but that's like, it's dog and girl put together. So it, with a rail on the end of it. So it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Dog girl with a girl in there. So there's like a lot of like sounds, images, it's sort of a hieroglyph sort of, you know, emoji kind of charades game word that I love it. That's great. Holly, we, I, I was curious about, um, I mean, just to kind of jump into like what's going on with the pandemic and, you know, my, my feeling has been that it's making a lot of us or myself um, look at really kind of what's essential in my life because there suddenly doesn't seem to be a lot of time for frivolous anything. Yet at the same time, I'm not super capable of thinking a lot of deep thoughts, you know, right now, but there is kind of an essentializing that I feel like, like I don't know when the last time the world just came to a screeching halt and we're asked to just kind of sit with ourselves. And so I'm just curious if, if what is becoming um, or seemingly more essential to you or anything that's sort of come up during this time that maybe you hadn't looked at before and how, how this might affect your, your work? Well, I, I, I definitely feel like there's an, what, what stands out when the noise stops? I mean, on some level, there's a lot of noise because there's, a, there's the noise of our understandable panic. I mean, somebody who's on this podcast has, has a partner who has autoimmune, you just, and herself has asthma and, you know, and there's an endless, and you've just survived uh, the pandemic and there is this free-floating anxiety, but the noise of sort of our daily life in a capitalist society um, and where we thought we were, um, also an election year, everything has kind of um, sort of thrown the brakes on, just like 
you know, don't, don't try to land the plane, don't try to fly your plane to the next airstrip, just you put it down now on the ground. I feel like we're all like that, but I can, um, <clears throat> one thing that's obvious to me, and I've been thinking about this in terms of the election, is all the sort of inequities that 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 um, that get papered over in the rush through our life, um, and the kind of insanity of our work life, the insanity of this ever increasing demand to be productive, and the ever increasing sense that um, you know we're not in a state of different kinds of crisis, economic and and climate, and all these other other ways. Um, can be ameliorated by just, I don't know, recycling faster and, um, you know, working harder, working smarter um, and, you know, getting on the right slack, you know, like multiplying all these different um, tools. Um, when everything stops, um, you can sort of see, I feel like the insane decisions that have been made that you know we don't have enough hospital beds we don't know how to get more hospital beds we um things that were that were new age slogans like how we're all connected are literally true because um all sorts of people that are marginal like the incarcerated or the undocumented the unhoused i mean our health is really literally only as good as their health um, um, I do feel everything stopped and you do sort of feel kind of a weird leadership vacuum. It's maybe an extent, it, it's an extension of what I felt like in 2016, you know, when the election happened of like, oh my God, this really horrible thing happened. Um, and now the fuck what, you know, this fascist, um, actually won and um, now what? Um, and, and that seems like times a thousand times how many other people there are in the world. Um, I remember when 9-11 happened and immediately one of the things that was said um, for those of you who were, I mean, people are pretty young, so it probably was a, kind of an early memory, but, you know, one of the things that immediately was said, like, we'll never be the same, um, and it will change everything, and there was this idea that we were going to be made better or something like that, and um, I think we were both the same and not the same, um, and some of the ways that we were not the same um, were a loss. I... I think, I feel like we, the planet has landed on another planet. <laughs> and, and we have to leave our, you know, we have to leave our spaceship that we traveled in and step out into this other planet and we don't really um, know what we're gonna find there. When I teach narrative to visual artists, which is something that I do a couple times a year now, um, so a lot, I'm interested to see like 
when I go back to teach, what kinds of narrative forms might my students be interested in? For a while, they've been really interested in fantasy and um, dystopian stuff, but a lot in fantasy. I mean, it's sort of people who grew up with Harry Potter and then, you know, a lot of people who really loved um, Lord, um, uh, Game of Thrones, um, but, um, and of course it's visual art. So there's people that are thinking about, I'm gonna be a game designer and I'm thinking about world building and they're talking about world building all the time. Well, now we're in this place where that's an, it's, it's actual. So um, it's, a, it's a very, yeah, it's just, I mean, Bryn, the, the wall behind you is blank and I feel like that's like a window. That's like could be a window out into this planet that we're like stepping yeah. out. Yes, my apartment has all these white walls and I too have uh, had to stare at them for a while. And I've been thinking about all the things uh, that I might be able to do with them now because there's so much time. And speaking of that, um, you yourself, you're not just a performer. I've read some of your poetry, uh, which is lovely, by the way. Um, and I was wondering in this time, uh, what forms you find yourself working within? Has that changed or have uh, you found yourself doing some similar things still? Well, I have been working on this idea of doing a political memoir and I had wanted to, a memoir seems like it's a, it's a step from, you know, it's, it's just, just, it's, it's, um, it's scaling up what I had been doing, but wanting to have it be more politically grounded. And I've been reading uh, Kathy Hong Park's Minor Feelings, which I really recommend um, as a book. Um, but I, I've just hit upon a couple of days ago, this idea of like, maybe I'm gonna be writing about, you know, I'm gonna be right, I, I wanna like go back and look at this stuff that I've written about food, but not just what I've written. I'm interested in the conversation. I'm interested in, and I don't really have a frame to how to think about this, but like how does, how does the responses I've gotten on Facebook the cabbage wars, um, you know, uh, the people who really like, you know, argued with me about a cake I made, like how it seems like it's people's, I, I wanna find some way, what is the form that that conversation becomes part of it? Of course it could be in an essay as well, but um, is, it a, is it a play, is it something else? Um, it seems like it's a conversation that people can enter into um, really easily, but that sort of, how does the interactivity, I mean, my voice is really, enter seems, seems like something I'm trying to think about in terms of how does that, how do I honor that and move that into a creative project? Holly, I, I, Dan gave us your book, Clip Notes, over the summer to read for, uh, amongst our reading to uh, get us geared up for making our solo work. Um, and in the, in, I was rereading the introduction last night, and you had this really wonderful quote that said, I wouldn't be an artist if I weren't a lesbian. 
love for words and love for women flow from the same place. I mm -hmm. thought that was pretty beautiful, and I just thought maybe you could talk a little bit more about that if you're comfortable. Yeah, I. That's something that I've returned to. In a in a in a couple of other things that I've read, I'm just like, oh my god, I cannibalized that in other introductions <laughs> that I've written. <laughs> um, but uh, I I think that. I mentioned this in the class that being part of a community, first the New York Feminist Art Institute, this experimental pedagogical community that I was part of, which had consciousness raising and story circles as part of it at the center, um, was a key to my beginning to imagine myself as an artist. But it was also, what I didn't talk about is that, um, you know, I grew up in a household with pretty severe um, psychological and physical abuse. And by the time I hit New York, I had already survived a couple of rapes. And I think being part of those communities um, and being able to frame those very personal experiences in a larger political understanding. So I just am not a person carrying around a sack of shit, a sack of trauma shit. It, my sack of shit is in some relationship to other people's sack of shit and what can we do together. Um, has to do with the, the feminist part. And then finding wow, I think, I, you know, people talk about I don't know if I can draw an exact parallel, but there's some way of finding self and finding your body and finding your erotics and your aesthetics um, that I think are often aligned. Um, that I, I don't want to overpaint it and, and, and suggest that I found some sort of wholeness or everything was solved and then you become a writer but like um if you just amass a of feelings and observations that's not necessarily language and i think you get language comes out of exchange with other people and whether that's erotic language or you know artistic language or just communication. Um, I remember being at the WOW Cafe and for, and before that at the New York Feminist Art Institute it was the first time where I thought, I'm not crazy. I felt so out of step with this very normal middle-class fucked up privilege, but, but, but alienating and traumatizing milieu that I came from that I kept thinking that was always presented as like the ideal that I thought I'm wrong. This drove my mother crazy. She thought she was wrong as opposed to the system that she was in was wrong um, and kind of crushing her. So does, I don't know if that answers. I think that's a fantastic answer. Um, really in depth. Um, uh, speaking of all of that, um, I was wondering 
if you had any advice for other young artists, specifically artists who um, consider themselves interdisciplinary, uh, like you definitely are? Um, advice about, about making work, about survival, about uh, uh, what to have for dinner. Uh, <laughs> um, I definitely think uh, advice um, about just approaching work when uh, you have so many forms that you work within. Well, I think there's a value, lean into what your strengths are um, and value your, yourself, your life is, you have, you're an expert in your experience. And it's a form of expertise. And, um, and I think, think deeply and value your taste and thinking about what's, what's the difference between taste and aesthetic judgment, which is something you think about as a teacher. As a teacher, I, I teach the children stuff I don't necessarily like. You know, I feel like it's important. And sometimes it's just like, you know, this bugs me, it's not my deal. Um, or sometimes I think like, this is actually problematic, like Yoko Ono's cut piece. Um, and it bugs me the way that it's talked about. Um, but um, I think that's a really, I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's something that is harder when you're a young person to sort of distinguish between, I don't know if this resonates, between like what is just unfamiliar and you reflexively recoil from or either that or embrace because it's novel and you know why not um but i think valuing your taste and you know expanding it experimenting it um is is good i think finding community is always is always good finding people you can exchange with um holly i had to thank you for that um uh, I just had a question about, and I'm going to sound like one of these people that <laughs> I met when I first got to New York City in the mid '80s. Is about ah, New York has changed so much. You should have seen it in the '70s and '60s. And yeah, yeah. now it's like um, I've seen, obviously, and we all have massive um, transformations in New York. But in terms of just coming out of uh, grad school, undergrad, or and people in New York. You've, I'm from the Midwest also, and, and you've now gone back to Michigan. And just curious about, like, for it, and, and back then, it, I was actually in film school, and the choices really were New York or LA. That was it. But theater was really all about getting to New York. And, um, right. and I'm just curious for people now if you're feeling that that is um, yeah, how, just how difficult and expensive New York is is New York sort of the only place for up and coming people? Are you seeing other places and how has your life changed now that you've left New York and how are you feeling about being in the Midwest? All right, well, I still love New York. I mean, it's my favorite place and you know, um, I, I miss it. Um, and I, I think it's a fabulous place. Uh, of course it is you know, ridiculously expensive. I mean, it is, I don't think it's like the only place, uh, you know, and the other places that used to be cheaper, like LA, I think are maybe even more expensive now. 
I don't think it's it's the only place. I think um, I see a lot of my students not even being that interested in, um, it's, it's not like they're feeling bereft. I mean, people still do move to New York and figure out a way to do it. And there's still amazing things happening. And, but I, I think that there is more decentralization. Um, first of all, I, I often encourage my students to think about Chicago, which is, has a lot of the perks of New York and that it has like, it's, you know, it's a big city. It's way less expensive than either LA or New York. But there's also mid-sized cities that I have students moving to like Baltimore, um, to Pittsburgh, to, uh, well, Minneapolis is a big, um, <clears throat> is a fairly big city. But um, people thinking about, I'm, I might hope to show there, but um, I, I don't necessarily want to live there. I, I think that, you know, there certainly is, um, you know, an art scene that's happening in Detroit. I mean, it, there's always been, like, obviously, it's always been a really important place for music um, and to some extent the visual arts, and, uh, but that's growing. And I think it's, I think artists are, are always looking for you know different places where it's possible to have it's I think it's very hard to be a solo artist I mean there are the people you know there's the solitary poet that can go off and live in the middle of nowhere but even Thoreau during his time at Walden like he was hanging out with people I mean he really wasn't it was like you know down the street from all these people <laughs> it's like really basically suburbia um, Walden Pond, and <laughs> he was, you know, spending the days by himself, but then hanging out with other people. Uh, I think trying to figure out where you might go um, and looking at other cities is definitely a possibility. Thank you. Um, you've mentioned community a few times now, um, and as someone who does really value community in their work, as I'm sure a lot of people um, at Sarah Lawrence especially do, um, I was wondering if there was a specific uh, memory you have or inciting incident that made you realize how important community is uh, to the art world at large or to your work specifically. Well, I think my experiences of being in those consciousness raising storytelling circles at the New York Feminist Art Institute in 1978 and hearing women tell stories about their life and their experience that I'd never heard before. They weren't necessarily my stories. In fact, it was important that they weren't my stories, um, but it was the act of storytelling um, that storytelling and that kind of radical sharing could be the basis of community. And it made it possible for me to understand my life in a way that made me feel less victimized by circumstances and more able to, you know, be the protagonist of my own story. So that's, um, and I keep having those, you know, I had those experiences at, at WOW and the experience of like, you know, you got to work, you got to get your own show um, in a, what was a crummy space, but a free space because you ran the lights, which were like turning off on and off clamp lamps. Um, 
dangling, running the lights, you know, um, uh, doing the sound on a boom box. Um, so the, the tape cues would be like, <laughs> get stretched out, the cassette tapes. There's something that actually you don't have to live through. All those moments were completely affirming to me. And I think like the value of going to school, I mean, the community that you form with each other in this class and in your cohorts, I think that's like incredibly important and um, just like encourage you to recreate that outside. Great. Thanks, Sally. Um, you know, having gone through these couple weeks of isolation and, you know, having got been sick and having to just be totally living in this weird solitude, I said to a friend the other day, I'm like, you know, I think I would pay $1,000 for a hug right now. <laughs> just like starving for human contact. Um, I know. So my question is, what would you pay $1,000 for right now? <laughs> oh, $1,000 for... Well, my foot is bothering me, so I would pay several thousand dollars, like, <laughs> to not how. Um, oh, my God, I'd pay a thousand, you know, thousand um, dollars for hug. To be able to, like, meet a friend, just like meet a friend for a meal and think it's not going to, think it's not going to kill us. To just be able to hang out with somebody and to touch them if you wanted to or not share food on the plate. Yeah. I think we all relate to that right now. Yeah. Uh, I know I do. Um, I think that's all the time we have for today. Um, so I just want to say thank you again, Holly, for being with us today and for talking so openly with us about yourself and your work. Oh, thank you so much. I enjoyed this tremendously. I love the questions. I love being, uh, we'd love to be, to stay in touch with, Annie or all of you, thank you so much. And I hope you, I, I'm sorry. It seems like you're all in your second year. So this is like hard. Mm -hmm. This is hard to not have had that culminating experience. That's really, that's terrible. Really hard. Thank you, Holly. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Take it easy. Yes. Bye. You too. Bye now. Bye. Bye now. The Performance Lab podcast was brought to you by Contemporary Performance Network in association with the Sarah Lawrence College Theater MFA program. For more information, please visit our websites at www.contemporaryperformance.com or www.sarahlawrence.edu.